Turn with me to Mark chapter 5 as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5, coming to a favorite passage of mine. I went back and forth on what to title the sermon today, so I just thought I'll just, just pick the coolest word in the in the passage, Legion. It's just fun. So uh, before we go to God's word, let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help with it, as we always do. Let's, let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your holy word, we pray that you would help us because we are not holy. We struggle even with the simplest truth of scripture with the most mundane of wisdom we can't hardly wrap our heads around it and here we come to your sacred word your holy and inerrant word infallible and we need your help so Lord we pray that you come that you convict our hearts of the sin that lies within, that you show us the truth of your word, how we ought to live our lives, and what we ought to know about you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as I read through this, there's this there's this uh, demon kind of exorcism going on here in this passage, and it made me think of, of taking a mask off, you know, and and that made me think, of course, of Scooby-Doo, which uh, over the years, Scooby-Doo had several iterations, the best of which was Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? That was the first iteration, and because it, it has the musical chase scenes, you know, that has the quasi-Beatles sounding band playing. Just lovely stuff. That aside, we know the end of every episode. I don't want to spoil it for you, right? But it's just been cliched so much that there's there's some kind of there's some kind of case going on. The the group of kids they meet this group of people and they say they're having this certain kind of problem, and they try to solve the case and they're thwarted by some kind of monster that just comes out of nowhere to keep them from from dealing with the case. But eventually they trap the monster somehow. And they only to realize that the monster is not really a monster. It's wearing a mask and they take the mask off. And lo and behold, it's just one of those characters that they met all the way at the beginning. And that's pretty much every episode. And if it wasn't for those, you know, those meddling kids, that they would have been able to continue their evil plot. What does that have to do with Mark chapter 5? Well, in our text today, Jesus comes face to face with this kind of villain. This monster of sorts. Except for in our text today, there's a real person that's being possessed by real, actual evil, by demons, perhaps even hundreds of them at once. And so Jesus unmasks this villain. He discovers this this villain, the demons, discover that Jesus is in charge. Of course, they knew that. And there was another kind of unmasking in that Jesus heals the man that is trapped by these demons. And there's this incredible transformation that goes on that we read about. But it's not the demons that are upset at the end. It's the people that uh, experience this incident. We're going to get into that. And they're the ones that are upset. We see the same kind of transformation with ourselves, at least if you're in Christ. There is an immediate change that affects everything that we do and that we say, and it even affects how other people react to us, or at least it should. We'll go through these stages. We'll see them unfold in our text today. 
So to better understand, we're going to break it up into two main ideas, the deep depravity of legion, and then second, the frightening mercy of Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down into the steep rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and and told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what was what it was that happened. And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had been the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat, or as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So last week, just go back a passage there. You can see that Jesus calmed the storm. Remember, he asked his disciples to get in the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee, and they were going to the east side of the of the sea, which is where we pick up here today, on their way across, they encountered this rough storm. And while the disciples, remember, they were at first, they were afraid of the storm and they thought they were going to die. And then Jesus came up out of the boat and he just said, stop. And it did. And then they weren't afraid of the storm anymore. They then feared Jesus instead. Who is this that the winds and the waves obey? I want to talk a little bit more about this fear. We're going to spend some time talking about it today. This is not the kind of fear that we have of like spiders and if it's in my house, it's stink bugs. I could even say the name and watch my children shudder. Stink bugs. Mary, remember Mary in her prayer, 
her thanksgiving prayer to God, said of him, his mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. Mary isn't talking about being afraid of something that can actually or that can't actually hurt you. It's not a childhood fear that is mostly irrational. It's the real fear of one who can say to the storm, stop and it listen. This fear should cause us to revere him, to to love him more. We read about that fear in our call to worship today from Psalm 130. What does it say? If you were to keep a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. It doesn't make sense to us. It seems like we shouldn't be afraid of that, but instead, absolutely, we should fear that. So we're going to, that comes into our text today, so we're going to come face to face with it and deal with it a little bit deeper. The story takes place again on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. The text calls it a couple things. It calls it Gerasenes, which is probably the name of one of the cities there. There were ten cities there, and it was this region was often called the Decapolis, which literally means ten cities. We have a lot of pictures of Gentile society there. This was largely a Gentile area. This was not a Jewish area. We can tell, first of all, of course, by the herd of 2,000 pigs. It's important to remember, who did Jesus come to save? What did the angel tell Joseph? He is coming to save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't stumble upon the Gentile lands. He went there on purpose. Jesus never did random. And so he was there on purpose to deliver the gospel to his people that they might be saved from their sins. Of the first one of which is this man that we're going to call Legion. Jesus' ministry wasn't simply to the Jewish people, though the majority of it was, absolutely. But it was to a people who were what he called in John chapter 10, a sheep that are of another fold. They were to hear about the God of the Bible and the Son that came to deliver them. That brings me to the first point, the deep depravity of Legion. Look with me back there at verses 1 through 5. Just going to kind of skim over this, some of the high points. Again, they came to this country of Gerasenes, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, he was immediately met with this man who was from the tombs. And he had an unclean spirit, and he lived among the tombs. And it talks about how they would try to bind him. Apparently he was some sort of trouble to society, so they would try to put chains on him, and he would just break the chains. And then verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. It's kind of a sad thing to read about. When you read this account, you get the idea that the people of the area could have maybe even thought of him as a kind of boogeyman. That's kind of what I think. The kind of thing that you threaten their kids if they don't clean their room or eat their vegetables. We're going to take you up to Sea Legion if you don't do your work. Maybe something like that. Who knows? Could have been. People in that area had apparently made attempts to bind him, to bring him under control and submission, but they were unable to do that because he broke the chains. I don't know if you've ever tried to break a chain. It's not very easy. This isn't a normal kind of strength. It wasn't like there was just a strong man up there in the mountains. This is a supernatural kind of strength tied to his demonic possession. Sorry. The saddest part about this man is the fact that he lived alone. 
that he was subjected to this constant self-harm. This is really sad. If you think about the creation of man, think about how man is created. What did God say when he created man? He said, we're going to create him in our image. This is the very image of God. And it's that man is created not to be alone. He didn't make just one, but he made two that they may multiply and fill the earth. And here is this man who is subjected to self-harm, which is horrible for the image of God. It's an affront to the image of God. And he is alone. We expect this from demons, right? We expect demons to treat others this way, but we don't expect people to do this. And of course, that's what all, what we see as well. People also treat others this way, sadly. So look with me at verses 6 through 8. When he, this demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus, for he, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And so this demon man saw Jesus. He ran up to him and fell on his face before him. And immediately asked Jesus, What do you want with me? Which this isn't just a question of what... This is a question of... uh, Like a confrontational type of question. Like, why are you here? Don't mess with me. That kind of thing. These two actions seem almost contradictory to one another. As it seems like maybe the man wanted the help of Jesus. But of course the demons knew they had now met their match. Because they've come face to face with their creator. Jesus had began trying to cast this demon out. Of course he wasn't trying. He could do that if he pleased. But the demons screamed out and they begged not to be tormented by their creator. And so look what Jesus does. Verse 9. Jesus asks him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. This naming is a kind of unmasking, really. To ask the name of your enemy is to command control over your enemy. We see this several times in the Bible. I think most notably when you have Jacob who's wrestling the the angel of the Lord in Genesis 32. He calls out and he tries to name it that he might claim dominance over it. When Jesus discovers the name of this demon man, he realizes very quickly that he's dealing with not just one demon, but many, perhaps even hundreds. The word Legion carries a lot of weight with it. It refers directly to a group of Roman soldiers, which would have numbered around 6,000 soldiers. But that word had become so prominent because of Roman occupation and the Roman uh, government being pretty much all over the known world at the time that other languages in the area began to work this word into their own languages. And it basically means a large gathering. We weren't just talking about one thing. It's hard to say that when this man walks up and says his name is Legion, whether we're talking about the name of the demons or we're talking about the name of the man or maybe even both. Whatever the case, Jesus has taken the mask off and realizes the real situation here. This isn't just some crazy man that lives up in the mountains. This is an outpost of Satan in this man. Not only must the man be freed of his occupation from Satan, but the demons 
must also be driven from that area. And this is where you get to the incident with the pigs. So what does Jesus do? He gives those demons permission to enter into the pigs. It just seems really strange. The demons went into those pigs and apparently maybe drive the pigs crazy. We don't really understand what's going on, but the pigs ran off the cliff and all of them died. You can imagine being a herdsman there that day. The herdsmen were probably hired hands and they, they weren't their pigs. And it wasn't like 2,000 pigs just growing trees. This takes a while to happen, even with pigs. This is a lot of resources. And they all run off the cliff. You know, we, we read over this just imagine, just imagine what 2,000 pigs looks like first. That's a lot of pigs, right? And then imagine them all running off a cliff and in the water. And then imagine what the scene in the water looks like. This isn't a pretty picture at all. This is something that would have been very, I mean, you don't get over this. This would have been very loud, smelly, just horrible. They, these people ran into town to tell the owners, of, I guess, of the pigs, which we'll get to in a moment. But I want to spend some time talking about this man. We're going to call him Legion just for sake of, for, of ease. Maybe his name was something else. We'll just call him Legion. Consider Legion's behavior. He lived among the dead. He screamed out in the night. It says always he was doing this. He cut himself. He was alone and in agony. Being alone is tough. His only interactions with others were when they came and tried to capture him. That's it. We don't know how long he had been up there, but it was long enough to establish a kind of pattern. There's a part of him that when he sees Jesus, he wants to run and get help. There's a part of him that begged Jesus not to destroy him. This is tough. It makes me think of a passage that we're very familiar with here. And that's in Ephesians 2. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first three verses today during the sermon. But in Sunday school, I'd like to go a little deeper into it. It's a a familiar passage, but sometimes the familiar passages are the ones that we need to look at the most. So again, while we've got legion on our minds thinking of who he is and what he's doing and what he's done to himself and his whole situation. Let's look at these first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you, Paul is speaking to a Jewish audience. He's speaking to a Christian audience. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And how did you do that? Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. When I hear those words children of wrath. You know, it's hard for us to put, it's hard for us to put a picture on that, right? We, we know that we were once that thing, but, you know, I, I know myself before I was a believer and I don't look at myself the way I ought to, but I probably should look at myself before I was in Christ as this man legion and see myself as that. 
a child of wrath, carrying out the desires of the flesh, a son of disobedience, dead in his trespasses. In many ways, Legion in Mark 5 gives us a picture of a man without Christ. The complete inability and or desire to do good. Yet the picture of something that isn't right, it's not as it was meant to be. When we read about Legion, we don't think, yeah, that's normal. We think, no, that's not right. That's not normal. It needs redeemed. It needs saved. It needs brought back. How about when we look at the world today? Could be that there are cases of demon possession today. Maybe. I'm not sure, to be honest. But I am sure that there are plenty, there's, that there is plenty of bad without the work of demons. Humanity does not need to be possessed by demons in order to do evil. Every thought of the heart and mind is only evil continually. And even the good that they do is tainted with selfish desire and self-glorification. I think it's important for us to point out that the child of God, and I want to point this out because it's important when we're talking about demon possession, the child of God cannot be possessed by this agent of evil like this because in order for the child of God to be possessed by a demon, what has to happen? What else? In, in Christ, who are we possessed by? Christ in us. The Holy Spirit in us. What does the demon have to do in order to come in? Step aside, Son of God. Step aside, third person of the Trinity. That's not going to happen, of course. And so we have no fear in that. Yet there is a real sense in which the believer is at war with themselves. Now we see that all the time in Scripture. There is this eternal or internal struggle. The flesh, which is of the world, the Spirit of God, which lives in them. I think Romans 8 is a great treatment of this for your own personal study. We're going to look at this kind of divide also as we look at Ephesians 2 today. I don't want to talk about that more. But what about for the unbeliever? Well, there's a real possibility, again, that this could happen, but it doesn't need this, this kind of thing doesn't need to happen to them for them to do, say, and to think evil. And in fact, that passage in Ephesians 2 is about the unbeliever, dead in their trespasses, sons and daughters of disobedience and of wrath. And so what must they do to be saved? I want to keep it in the context of Mark 5. What could Legion have done in order to save himself? Nothing. He needed a Savior. And this is where the frightening mercy of Jesus Christ comes in. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. I'm sure the owners of the pigs weren't happy to hear that their entire herd went off into the water. And there's a lot of debate about this. Uh, there's a whole lot of debate about the ethics of pig destruction. And uh, even there's a very famous essay written by it. I don't recommend this essay at all, but it's written why I'm not a Christian. And this is one of the main points by the writer of that essay. They couldn't worship a God who destroyed pigs. 
It seems silly to us, right? But it presupposes that the, uh, the life of those pigs is more valuable than the life of that man. Which the unbelieving world, of course, still tries to convince us that animals are more important than people. But that's a whole other discussion. It's a longer conversation, but we get the big idea here. The people came to see what was all the fuss was about, right? All of these pigs had just died, and they knew that Legion was up there in the mountains. They knew that this crazy man was there, and they come there, perhaps even a little afraid that they're going to encounter crazy low Legion. And what do they encounter instead? They see the Son of God sitting there with this man who is dressed, and he is in his right mind. And notice the reaction of the people. And they were afraid. We can't miss this here because this is probably the most important part of this story. Not the pigs. Where else did we read that the act of Jesus caused people to be afraid? Just go back at the end of chapter 4. He said to the sea, peace be still. And they, the disciples who were in the boat with them, they were just afraid of the storm, right? Now they are filled with great fear and they say to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When the disciples saw that Jesus could calm the storm, they were afraid. And then these people saw that Legion was no, was no longer crazy old Legion, but he was in his right mind. They too were afraid. And again, this isn't the kind of fear that people have of like clowns and spiders. Those fears are what we call irrational fears. That isn't to say that some spiders can't hurt you. Most of them are completely harmless. I know that some can. Yes, we don't need to get in that. Same with clowns. They're largely not out to hurt you. Those fears aren't reasonable, though. I mean, I think of the stink bugs that are around. There, this Apparently there's a species of stink bugs. I had to study this for for my the sanity of my home there's a species of stink bugs that have actually invaded our country and they've worked their way and now they're in this part of the world and you've probably seen them they're these little brown stink bugs and they're all over the place guess what they only eat plants they don't bite you would think that they're 10 foot tall and they're wielding a battle axe in my home but that's not the case so when we read about these people fearing jesus We're not talking about that irrational kind of fear of plant-eating stink bugs. Later in Mark, we're going to get a better picture of this kind of fear. We're going to read about an event called the Transfiguration of Jesus in chapter 9. And it's an event in which Jesus shows not only his humanity, he's there with the disciples physically, but he also gives the disciples a glimpse of his deity. They see him in his glory, and what is their response? They are afraid. They are filled with great fear. Did they fear because Jesus was coming after them? No. They feared because he was capable of anything that he wanted to do. And the only right response to that kind of thing is fear. Any other response is stupidity. Any other response doesn't make sense. If you're in the boat with someone who says to the storm, peace be still, and you're like, oh, okay. And you're not in your right mind. To come face to face, I mean, think about a lion. If we just had a lion waltz in here, "Mm, just sit over there in the corner, why don't you? No. 
We would be terrified. Any other, any other response is to take one's life for granted. To come face to face with Jesus and think, this guy is nothing, is to forfeit your eternal soul. But the people there wanted him gone because he killed their pigs. But as he was leaving, notice what happens. Legion, who previously didn't want to be driven, what was Legion's one request? Don't drive me from this place. Please, let me stay here. What does he want to do now? Please take me with you. And I love Jesus' reaction. Rather than saying, come with me, he says, go. Go and tell your friends. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And when he went away, he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, those that ten city region, that's all Gentiles, how much Jesus had done for him and how everyone marveled. So think about that for a minute. Isn't this the picture of Christ in our own lives? His mercy on us causes us to be completely changed and to want to be with Him and to no longer be alone, but to want to be with Him for all eternity. And what did this man do? He went out into those ten cities and he shared the gospel. As far as we know, he's the first missionary to the Gentiles. He's not the last missionary to the Gentiles, though. We know of another great missionary to the Gentiles. In fact, most of our New Testament owes it to him. The most famous missionary, of course, is the Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul just have a normal kind of conversion in the synagogue down the road? Nope. He had one very similar to this man, Legion, did he not? Did he deserve that? Absolutely not. It was his conversion, and how did people react to his conversion? It scared them. And so now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have this in our laps. What will we do with it? We've come face to face with the Lord of glory here in this text. The mask has been taken off, so to speak. And in the end, what do we have? We have a man that is completely changed. We have evil completely driven away. And we have a sovereign Lord of creation that is still Lord. And if we are wise, what will be our correct response to him? We will fear him. What will we do with that, brothers and sisters in Christ? As I say every week, if you're here and you're just now hearing this today and getting it for the first time, perhaps the Spirit of God has come to you and has softened your heart and you're just hearing this for the first time, here today, Jesus Christ is your Savior. Call upon His name and be saved. The Scriptures are plain. That's what you ought to do. Call upon His name. Be saved. Believe in Him as Lord. Just like this man here in the text did. Believe that He is Lord and you'll be saved. For the believers here, you need to be challenged by this as well. It's still Christ that does the changing. He is the one who took the dead sinners, sons and daughters of disobedience, and rose them to new life. In Him, we are new. The old is gone. How then will we live? So in conclusion, let us see ourselves like Legion in this story. Changing are changed and now in our right mind because of what he did for us. Let us live and give glory to God because he alone can do that work. But let us not stop there. What did this man do? 
Let us be like Legion. And let us go to our friends and our family and tell them of the one who should be feared by all. Let's go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we admit that oftentimes we take you for granted. That we have been, we've gotten used to you. That when we read about you calming the storm and that you and you healing this man, we just think, oh, that's nice. Help us, Lord, to see you again, to fear you as we ought, to see you as we ought to, and to glorify your name so that we might grow in grace and so that the world might know that you are Lord for your glory alone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.